I don't know how you would answer that, but it is a crucial question. And the book of 1 John in the New Testament was written to answer that question. We've been going through 1 John and we've called this series on 1 John, Walking in the Light. That's what we've called it because that's the phrase John uses. And it turns out when John talks about walking in the light, he's talking really about the basics of Christianity. The fundamentals. This fairly short letter gives us the non-negotiables of what it means to be a Christian. And as we read this letter, we find there are three of them. Three non-negotiables. John says a Christian will believe, a Christian will obey, and a Christian will love. And throughout this letter, John cycles through them. Believe, obey, love. And there is an order to this. Belief comes first. Then obedience and love are the proofs that we believe. But John gives them just about equal attention. We find his focus switching between these three non-negotiables. Believe, obey, love. And in our passage this morning, the focus is on belief. A Christian is someone who believes certain things and does not abandon that belief. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 John and this morning to chapter 2. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1226. Or in the large print Bibles, 1900. We're going to read chapter 2, verse 18, down to verse 27. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, Just as it has taught you, 
remain in him. This is God's word. And the message here is very simple. Believe in Jesus Christ. But John makes the point by describing two types of people. Christians and antichrists. He starts with a second type of person. In verses 18 to 3, 18 down to 23, John says, recognize ordinary antichrists. Now when John's first readers heard that word antichrist, they would have had the same idea in their minds as we have today. The New Testament describes a sinister figure who will rise to prominence before Christ returns. Second Thessalonians calls him the man of lawlessness. He will both oppose Christ and he will put himself in the place of Christ. He'll try to abolish worship of Christ and redirect that worship towards himself. For a short time, the New Testament tells us this Antichrist will be celebrated and admired the world over. But, before that final Antichrist, with a capital A, there will be many Antichrists. Small a. The final Antichrist will simply be the last in a long line. In every generation, there will be figures who rise to prominence, who oppose Christ and set themselves in the place of Christ. And in every generation, those antichrists will fall, only to be replaced by others, until finally the last one comes and is destroyed by Jesus Christ when he returns to this earth. And so when we hear the word Antichrist, we tend to think of major personalities like Hitler or Stalin in the last century. There might even be a name or two in this century that comes to mind. And John's first readers probably thought along the same lines. And so when they heard John say in verse 18, as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, Even now, many antichrists have come. As they heard that, they would have thought of international figures. But look what John says next in verse 18, in verse 19, sorry. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. John is not denying there are international antichrists. But he shows us there are also ordinary antichrists. Ones who don't make the headlines. They don't rule over nations. They don't even influence nations. And even more shocking, John says, you can meet these antichrists in the church. He says they went out from us meaning they were in the church and then they left. So these antichrists don't have horns and pointy tails. They're not atheists. 
They're not out there ridiculing the church or campaigning against the church. John says they were in here, living as part of the church. They listened to sermons, maybe they even took notes. They sang the songs, they got baptized, they took communion, they brought sandwiches to the bring and share teas. Maybe they were elected as elders or deacons. The people John is thinking of gave every appearance of being part of the fellowship. But then they left the fellowship. And no doubt, John is speaking here about a real situation. He has specific people in mind. He doesn't go into the details, but his first readers knew the details. And John knows how traumatic this must have been. How confusing it must be for those who are left. How are they to understand these defections from the church? Well, it's important to see John is not talking here about people who left because they moved to a different town. These are not people who moved from one church to another. These are people who abandoned the church altogether. And John says, people like that, they don't stay because they don't belong. No matter how much they seem to belong, their leaving shows their true colors. Why is John saying this? He says it because he knows it can rock our faith to see people turn their back on the faith. And so John wants us to see a mark of true faith is that it lasts. It endures. People who leave haven't lost their faith. They never truly had faith. No matter how well they seem to fit in. Look again in the middle of verse 19. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. True faith lasts. And here, John is just repeating what the rest of the New Testament says. For example, in the book of Hebrews, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Or think of Jesus' story about the man scattering his seed, one of his most famous parables. Jesus said some of that seed falls on rocky places where it has not no soil, but not much soil. Jesus said that's what some people are like. When they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy. The seed seems to have taken root in them. But in reality, they're just hard rock with a sprinkling of soil on the outside. The word doesn't truly take root in their heart. And they don't last. And here in our passage, John says that's the explanation for people who seem to be part of the church, but leave the church. They don't stay because they don't belong. 
They shared our company for a while. But they never truly shared our faith. Because true faith lasts. But even as he says that, John reassures his readers. He says, I don't have those kind of concerns about you. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. We'll not worry just yet what John means here by anointing. He'll come back to that later. For the moment, just notice why he's talking about these antichrists. It's to reassure the people who haven't walked out. Yes, what happened is sad, John says. But it doesn't mean the church is falling apart. It means those who left were never Christians to begin with. Jesus told us this would happen. He told us to expect people who looked very like Christians for a while, but in the end they left. And by leaving, they showed their true colors. Why exactly did these people leave? Did they not like the new carpet or the new coffee? Well, we don't know what these people said when they left. But John gives the real reason they left in verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. So maybe these people were upfront in denying that Jesus is the Christ. Maybe they announced it to everyone. Or maybe not. But John says, here's what actually happened. Either openly or quietly in their hearts, they deny the truth about Jesus. Specifically, John says, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means anointed king. And in the context of the Bible, we're talking about God's anointed king. The Greek word is Christ. The Hebrew word is Messiah. These people deny Jesus his rightful place as God's king. And later on in this letter, John will give more detail about that. He tells us more about what it involves. But here, he's not focusing on the details. His point is, these people are antichrists because they deny Jesus his full place as God's king. And so maybe they'll take him as their saviour from sin, but not as Lord of their lives, whose word has authority over their lives. If it comes down to their will versus Jesus' word, their will wins. Or maybe some of them flip it around. They see Jesus as a wise teacher, and they try to live their lives by his teaching. But they will not accept that his death was necessary for their salvation. They deny him his place as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Instead, they're pretty sure they can sort their own sin problem without Jesus. They can rise above it on their own, thanks. In one way or another these people will not swallow the whole of the Bible's teaching on Jesus. 
Maybe these people choke on his divinity. Maybe they choke on his humanity. He wasn't really a man. Maybe they object to his actual physical resurrection. Or maybe his authority to judge the living and the dead. Whatever it is, they will not believe something that the Bible teaches about Jesus. And John says, that is a denial of Jesus. Another John, John Calvin, puts it like this. Christ is denied whenever the things that belong to him are taken from him. The things that belong to Christ are all the things the Bible tells us about him. And John says, if we won't have the Jesus presented to us in the Bible, if we choose a lesser Jesus, we're not just denying the Son of God, we're denying the Father who sent him. Verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. In other words, these Christ deniers, they may well carry on talking about God. They may well think of themselves as religious people or spiritual people. But they don't know God. They cannot know God. God can only be known through his son Jesus. John's Gospel says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That is the foundation of Christianity. God has made himself known in his son Jesus. And God can only be known through Jesus. Those who deny Jesus cannot know God. And our way to know Jesus is through the Bible's teaching. Jesus commissioned his apostles to testify about him. To tell the world the truth about him. And he promised to send his Holy Spirit to teach the apostles what they were to pass on to us. That's what the New Testament is. It's the apostles' testimony to the truth about Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so to turn away from that testimony is to be an antichrist. You might still be very moral, Very religious, very spiritual, and very nice. But you are an antichrist. You're part of a long line of Christ deniers. You're part of a line that will one day climax in the final antichrist and be destroyed by the returning Christ. Believe it or not, John is not writing to scare us here. His aim is to reassure us. He's writing to those who worship Christ and give him his rightful place. 
And he wants us to know, when someone deserts Christ and his church, it doesn't mean something's lacking in Christ and his church. It's just another antichrist showing their true colors. It's painful. It's sad. But it should not surprise us. What it should do is wake us up with regard to our own faith. And so having called us to recognize ordinary antichrists, now in verses 24 to 27, John calls us to persevere as ordinary Christians. Back in verse 18, John called his readers, Dear Children. That's who he's talking to in verse 24. Dear Children, as for you, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Antichrists deny the truth about Jesus. You and I have a responsibility to keep hold of the truth about Jesus. That's what John means when he talks about what you have heard from the beginning. He's not saying stick with whatever it was you learned as a child. No, he means stick with the good news that brought you to Christ in the first place. The gospel that God became man, that he died for our sins, that he was raised and exalted to his father's side. That he's returning to claim his people and set up an eternal kingdom. You and I must never move on from that truth. It's our only hope for eternal life. It's our only hope for peace and power today. Yes, there will always be more to understand about that truth. There's always more to do in applying that truth and living in the light of it. But we will never grow out of that truth. It will never need to be revised. It will never be improved on. The latest scholarly idea is not going to overhaul it. The latest speculative book is not going to replace it. Ideas and speculations will come and go. They always have. New ideas are not a recent invention. The book of Acts tells us the people of Athens spent all their time talking about and listening to the latest ideas. There will always be new religious ideas. They just keep on coming like waves breaking on a beach. And if we chase after new ideas, we're going to be embarrassed. Why? Because they soon turn into old, outdated ideas. In the pages of the New Testament, God has given us the timeless truth about Jesus. This is the only thing that won't go out of date. And so... You and I have a serious responsibility. Verse 24, we are to make sure 
This truth remains in us. Over the years, I've taken lessons at various times on the trumpet, the piano, and the classical guitar. Probably ten years worth altogether. Whatever instrument I was taking, I practiced about half an hour a day. And so if my maths is right, and that's not certain, but if it is right, that works out as 1,825 hours of practice. Then if we add a lesson a week, it comes to 2,275 hours of musical input. And today, it's gone. I might be able to manage a C chord in the piano. That's really about it. For all practical purposes, nothing at all remains of those 2,275 hours. Now, I had a very good reason for giving up music. I don't have an ounce of musical talent. I was just wasting my time. It took me 10 years to realize that. But the point is, whatever little ability I did manage to pick up is now completely gone. It's gone because I didn't work to keep the little I had. And now nothing remains. And in my case, it's no big deal. I'm not worse off because I gave up blowing raspberries on my trumpet. And everybody else is better off. The stakes weren't very high when I gave up music. But here in our passage, the stakes are much, much higher. This is about keeping hold of the truth about Jesus. And what is at stake, John says, is eternal life. Look again at verses 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. You and I had better make sure this truth remains in us. We had better do what it takes to keep this truth in our minds and hearts. Whatever planning we have to do, whatever sacrifices we have to make, in terms of other activities and other things that influence us, we had better keep hold of this truth. If keeping this means other things have to go, then let them go. Jesus told a story about a man who found treasure hidden in a field. Jesus said, in his joy... That man went and sold all he had and bought that field. He wasn't going to let that treasure go. He let go of everything else to keep that treasure. And here John says to us, Dear children, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the greatest treasure there is. You know the truth about Jesus. And so do whatever it takes to keep hold of this treasure. 
stop saying, I can't find time every 24 hours to freshen my grip on this truth and reorient myself to this truth. Stop saying I've got too much else to think about. This truth has eternal importance. Eternity hinges on it. Don't let it fade from your mind. Don't let it get pushed out of your heart. Don't let sin drive you away from it. Don't let popular ideas turn you away from it. See that it remains in you. That's how you and I will persevere as ordinary Christians. This is not the requirement for super-Christians. In this passage, John is not dealing with super-Christians. In fact, I don't think the New Testament as a whole deals with super-Christians. And nor is John dealing with big-time antichrists, prominent enemies of the church in this passage. No, he's talking about ordinary people. At one time, all the people he's talking about claimed to be Christians. They sang the songs, they prayed in the prayer meetings just like you and me. But some of these people turned out to be antichrists. And John says the difference between the antichrists and the Christians is simply this. Antichrists let go of the truth about Jesus. Christians hold on to it. So make sure you hold on to it. Holding on takes commitment and effort over a lifetime. If you've held on to the truth for five years or 45 years, good for you. And now, what are you doing today to keep holding on? What am I doing? What are we going to do this week to keep the truth about Jesus fresh and alive in our hearts? What are we going to do to make sure the truth is not choked in us by the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Then John ends this section with an important detail. He says, you have the truth you need. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. What exactly is John telling us here? Is he saying teachers have no place in the church? At first glance, it might seem that way. You do not need anyone to teach you. And yet, isn't John himself teaching us through this letter? 
Isn't this passage here to teach us? In fact, the New Testament is clear. Teachers have a part to play in the church. Ephesians goes so far as to say, Christ gave teachers as gifts to the church. And John is not contradicting that. So what is he saying? Well, the key is this word, anointing. John says that as Christians, as ordinary Christians, we have an anointing from God. In the Old Testament, certain people, select people, were anointed with oil. And that anointing marked them out as special. They were not the same as everyone else. And God then dealt with his people in the Old Testament through that special group of anointed ones. Priests and kings. But already in the Old Testament, God promised something different. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God pointed ahead to a day when all of his people would be marked as special. This is how it goes in Jeremiah 31. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. In other words, in days to come, God's people will not need a special teacher so they can know the Lord. All God's people will have equal access to the truth. God's anointing will no longer be for a select few. It will be for every single one of God's people. That was God's Old Testament promise. And here, John says to ordinary Christians, You have received God's anointing. All of you. You don't need a special priest or teacher to deliver the truth to you. God has already delivered it to you in the pages of the New Testament. You have the truth you need. You don't need to run after gurus who claim to have inside information from God or privileged insight into God's plans. At the front of this church, facing the road, there's a post box. And we get a whole variety of different stuff in there. Some of it's useful. Some of it's not so useful. Most of it's soggy by the time it gets to me. But last week I had a letter from someone telling me, first of all, I needed to find a quiet place before I read the rest of the letter. Somewhere with no distractions. And then the letter told me I had to clear space in my diary to come to this man's conference in London. I had to be there because the Holy Spirit had given him amazing things he wanted to share with me. If I don't go... I'll miss out on what God has for me at that conference. Now maybe, if I'd called this man up, he would have spilled the beans to me over the phone. Maybe. 
But I think from reading his letter, I had to pay the money and go to the conference. I don't know the man, but I did recognize his face on the letter. I received a similar letter from him before about last year's conference in London. I don't know him. I don't want to be uncharitable. But I think he's the kind of teacher John says we don't need. The kind of teacher he says, I have a hotline to God. God lets me in on crucial stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. John says, do not be waylaid and misled by that kind of stuff. God has given you the truth you need. Open your Bible and you'll find it. Whatever's going to go on at that conference in London, we don't need it. So John is not saying, don't listen to teachers. He is saying, don't listen to teachers who claim to have special knowledge from God. Knowledge that isn't available to every Christian with a Bible. The church needs teachers who will represent what God's Word says. Teachers who will say, look with me at the Bible. Isn't this what it's saying? Can you see this is what it's saying? And aren't these the implications of what it's saying? Isn't this what it means for our lives? Can you see that? And we need scholars who will study the biblical languages and the historical background of Scripture to help us grasp it more clearly. According to the New Testament, those kinds of teachers have a role in the church. But the church should have no role for the kind of teacher who says, if you really want to know God, you need to gather around me. Because I have stuff you can only get from me. No. You have the truth you need. All of you. Hold on to it. Don't get distracted from it. Don't be distracted by anything that claims to be new teaching or special teaching. This is a letter about the basics of Christianity. And what could be more basic than the need to believe in Jesus Christ. If you want to be a Christian, the first step is to accept what the New Testament tells you about Jesus. The Jesus of the New Testament is the only Jesus there is. And then, as those who do believe in Jesus Christ, we've got to keep the truth about Jesus fresh in our minds and hearts. There's no other way to keep our love for him fresh. As Christians, we are not aiming to move on to other things. We're aiming to deepen our grasp and deepen our appreciation of what we have heard from the beginning. And if we carry those truths with us, 
then we will persevere to the end. In a few moments we're going to share this meal that presents the truth about Jesus to us. 